profitability, variety of choices is going to be very important. And it's important also to match the um, yield intent so that you can target the optimum flowering window so that you're reducing the risk of erosion on the flowering. Um, I'm pretty aware that that can be the tricky kind of pick um, Setting up the crop for success, so giving it the best chance as you go through the season. And I'll be talking with you about some results that have been usually going to plant density. Um, so um, supplying adequate nutrition to the crop nutrition might be, it's a matter of uh, looking at what that uh, economic potential might be, not just trying to go for that higher yield, and understanding the costs and risks associated. So what is yield potential? Well, that is the potential um, yield without any stresses. So I'm pretty aware that I was talking to the audience that we've got pretty badly hammered by frost last year. So I think we might we can just put that to the back of the mind because it's pretty hard to uh, sort of manage for those sorts of situations I think. But uh, looking at yield potential um, in the high rainfall zone here I think we have got very high yield potential and that's something that's fine for some of those. So in experimental trials we um, getting up, up around that eight ton, and I know that some farmers have managed to get six ton of canola um, on a commercial level. So it's very high yield potential. You have to know when you can get that potential and um, you know, what the risks associated with those yields. But we've, um, in our research program, we've run over the last few years, they were designed from breeders or seed companies and they're not necessarily commercially of new material, particularly that's coming from other very high environments in Europe. And we connect get those to different commercial lines as well. We've had a very large range of technology in those, uh, the flowering times and up to six weeks difference in um, those maturity. And we've also different architectures as well. And we've assessed these on quite a way for a wide range of environments. Um, the program that we have is a national program, so we've got the So what we've done is we've actually identified some very promising material coming through. Now this is a lot of detail on here, but it's more the colours on um, if you just follow your eyes through the colours. So these topical ones there, the early maturing spring lines. Uh, some of these are the winter types that are coming through now. And then we've got to down here some more just spring crosses. And if you look at the, the colours, the reds are the lines where there's less than, this is not a complete data set we've got, I've just highlighted a few. Um, but uh, the red is, the, this is the proportion of the site, mainly the results for Hamilton in 2015, 2016, and 2016 and 2017. And anything that's red is more than 5% less in the, the site mean. Anything in um, yellow is either 5% less within that 5% um, range of the mean. And then anything in green is, is greater than 5%. And what you'll notice here is that we, a lot of these later um, maturing winter types have been performing quite well, as have some of these winter spring crosses. So some of the later material has actually got quite high yield potential and is, um, has been performing quite well. And as I said, I've only got um, 
these Hamilton and the Lee up, but we're also getting into some of these varieties getting some up. So this is just looking at where some of this these uh, longer season lines may fit. This is some work we, we did a couple of years ago, looking at where the winter types might have a fit in um, the high rainfall zone. And so we looked at comparing a winter type with a spring type over um, a study area of any um, where it's greater than 400 millimetre rainfall a year. And that area was about 26.6 million hectares. And the winter types outperform the spring types which is indicated by the blue areas in about 4.3 million hectares. So they do have um, uh, quite a large area that they could be suited to, uh, generally around the coast. Uh, the green is, is where there's probably not going to be a, a huge difference and then in the, the red we're going to get yield penalties. So that's the probability, so this is run over 60 years of climate data, so this is the probability of getting a better return from the winter types. Now, this is, this is quite a general map, and within, within that, there are pockets, um, even in the high rainfall zone down here, where you may not get um, necessarily an improvement if you've got a particularly tough soil type or um, you know, rain shadow or something like that. But generally, you know, we've um, been trying them for quite a few years now, and, and reports that we're getting um, are that they are actually. Forming reasonably well to that, that map. So, just looking a little bit at what, how they, the winter types might behave differently to the spring types, you're probably all um, aware, you've probably heard quite a bit, particularly through some of the NECA's work with the grazing and that sort of thing. These winter types can be sown in spring because they have a vernalisation requirement. So, when they have a vernalisation requirement, that means that in order to trigger them to move into the reproductive phase, they have to have a certain amount of cold temperature before they they um, will actually start going to their reproductive phase. So this is a um, this is an lake bolac simulation of the lake bolac where um, we've run run a split a spring type and we've looked at from different sowing dates from two weeks from the first of April through to the 15th of July. If they're sown on the 1st of April, what's the probability of them flowering um, at, within that date? So if you sow a spring type in April, you're likely to get them flowering in June. It's going to depend this, um, these tails here are in sort of the whole range of seasons, so it's a particularly warmer season or a cold season, and that's why you're getting that variant. And in the spring types, they are just, what's going to determine their development is just a matter of time, degree days. So they just count the number of warm days and the temperature, the accumulated temperature, and it's going to just keep them in on that. When you look at the winter types, they behave differently. They have this sit back and they're not going to actually start going to the reproductive phase until they um, <coughs> accumulate a certain amount of cold temperature. So that's sort of um, around our less than 60 degrees or so, I start accumulating that cold temperature. And then once I've got that minimisation temperature accumulation, they will behave the same as the spring type and they will start counting again as they So, as you can see, as they're sown later, the time to flower is actually shorter relative to the spring type. So they get, they get up not such a big difference in late sowing time, although they may still be later. So that gives you an option 
of um, just so early out and, and still maybe not get the quite prosperous period. So what is the optimal flower period? And some of you have probably seen this sort of graph quite a bit, but um, this is a, a profile of the probability of a chance of having a frost. Um, probability of having a drought or, or moisture stress rather than a drought. Uh, probability of having heat. And so the optimum flowering time that we've picked for this environment is actually it's quite tight and um, it's a period where you're going to minimise that um, those environmental risks. It's quite can be quite narrow. Um, some areas are considerably more narrow you know, low, lower ranking zones is a lot tighter than we have, the risks are a lot higher. But that's for wheat. And for wheat, you've got to know about um, this is the winter type. So if you look, this is um, a period from side to bud. You can see that that's longer than a spring type. This is from about a May sowing. Then the, from the bud visible to flowering is the green. And this purple area here is the layer um, duration. And you can see that it's very wide. So you're looking at a month or more that you could be in that flower period. So it's pretty hard to target. Um, you know, you've got less frost A lot more can happen in that period. So, um, we've done some, just some of the work that we've done over the last couple of years. This is 2015, which was a very dry season. That was also reasonably wet. This is trial results from Hamilton, and we didn't get a standard of frost as um, we had um, around here. But this data here, I have put everything that we've done. So we've got, um, in our experimental work at Hamilton, we have what we call a managed environment facility, which means we've got um, automated radar shelters, so we can simulate drought. We've got irrigation, so we can simulate so we can make sure we don't have water stress. We've got normal rain fed. We've got a whole range of um, winter experiment types of whole So looked at the flowering date and from those combinations looked at the comparison of yield. As you can see we have a very wide sowing um, flowering window um, where we still get high yield. So some of these here for example that was actually due to too much water, not enough fun. You know, rather than dragon. So I think picking a flowering period within that time, looking at September, and that's pretty consistent, you know, you're looking at that, that time. Of cost and about potential flowering time. Um, you can see that sowing a winter type in early April and early mid April, getting a little bit later, um, still hitting a, you can still hit that optimum flowering window. And for the um, spring types, again, probably from the mid May to early um, June period, that matter half of May. Um, is probably an optimal type for the um, spring types. Um, looking at some of those winter spring crosses that we were evaluating. Um, just, just on that thing, it's like that last question. Yeah. On like, the days of the flower, we've got the one. I'm just saying we've got, we've actually got a few different white timings for planting coal. Probably, probably matching up there with what we've got at the moment. Obviously, data available. PBT guys just like medium maturity or late maturity or whatever, is there anything where it's actually days to flower that, that, that you have or for your trials? Yeah. 
well, we're certainly very yeah, we we've got that data. We, we haven't done probably done the whole suite of um,
safe survival. This was actually one of the drought treatments, but um, we're still analysing the data to find out exactly what's causing that stress. But you can see here, these are the non-viable seeds. So we can then work back and find out what those stress events uh, are then trying to work out uh, what the impact recognising what stress might be. And it might be lower temperature, high temperature, it could be a lower radiation. We understand that and we can start matching um, how yield varieties to the season to the requirements of the this was some work that we did uh, in Italy uh, last year. Now, uh, the trial, there were a few problems um, just outside. There was a massive deluge and it affected plant establishment. And we weren't really sure whether or not it was worth continuing on with the trial. But I think this um, shows that in our environment, if we get a good season, the plant actually has a really good capacity to recover after flowering. It's a lot of period. And so whilst the crops might be exposed to some stress, either um, environmental stresses or got low plant density, the canola has an incredible capacity to compensate. So for low plant numbers, now this one was zero, which um, that gave us a yield, but that doesn't mean that there were zero plants there. It was just that they were later germinating and they weren't picked up when these were um, established. But at final harvest, we've still got, this is around 10, 20, 30, we're still getting really high yields even at those low plant densities. So if you've got burned out patches, it's not you need really high plant densities to get very high yields in this environment. And we've seen this in other trials as well. Some of our better yields have been from lower plant densities. And I suppose as long as you're on top of weed control and that sort of thing, there are other issues, then um, you, know, you don't need really high plant numbers in our environment where you've got that capacity to compensate. Another area we've been doing quite a lot of work on is in um, crop nutrition and Martin Caswell, who's here, um, has been leading that, that area of the project and we've been working with Kerry Stoddart, who's an economist, Brendan Christie, who's our modeler, and also Ellie, um, who has been um, helping us with some of the extension of this work. We've been looking at how do you feed a crop that's got a really high yield potential when we know we're also operating in a highly variable environment as well. So they put a lot of, you know, you're going for six tonne. Um, we know that fertilisers are at a major cost and that high yielding crops are going to need a lot of nutrition to keep to maintain that crop. So if you've got one tonne, uh, you need 32, um, in removing the seed will be um, 32 um, kilograms per hectare. When you're getting up to six tonnes, you're actually looking at a lot of nitrogen being removed from the crop. And similarly with the PKNS, um, you then have this um, removal of stubble is some of the recent work that Martin's been doing to, to work out how much is nutrients in the stubble. And then of course you've got um, an efficiency for your fertiliser uptake. So you can see that if you are actually trying to go for a six tonne canola crop, you, you don't have to really feed it a lot. It's going to be removing a lot and you don't have to put that in. And we, as I said, we know that we've got a, um, a very variable climate. So, for example, last year, if you were feeding for a six-tonne crop and you've got a massive frost event, then um, you, know, you might lose that. So, looking at um, the probability of getting the return, so it's not just maximising yield, it's maximising that profit for the economic yield potential. So, the approach we've taken, um, when we initially looked at how much 
yield data, uh, sorry, data that was regarding treatment of high ranking drug, it was very, very poor, very thin. There's not a lot of information out there. So we, um, over the last few years, have been looking at some nutrition experiments, uh, looking at South Australia and across Victoria. Uh, we've done some emission trials where we apply all the nutrients and then start pulling them off to work out what the um, what the requirements, what the limitations might be. And top from that, we've then gone on and done rate experiments to look at some response to different nutrients. We've taken those and we've mod put them into the models and we've looked at extrapolating those results over um, seasons and locations. And we've looked at the economics of um, the different inputs as well. With multiple nutrients, not just nitrogen. There's quite a few models out there um, that will look at nitrogen, but not in um, with the PK and S as well. And from that, we've also now developed some decision support tools. Um, at this stage, it's in a prototype, but we've been had um, growers involved in, in developing those, and I think some of them are in the room here. Um, but we're still developing that, and it will need refining as we get more information coming through. But at this stage, we've developed three tools from the um, field work that we've got. We've looked at an awareness tool, which we're basically looking to demonstrate that um, your response to nitrogen is going to be dictated by your initial PK um, S starting soil conditions. A planning tool whereby you can you know what time your, your starting soil levels are and then partway through the season you can um, apply different nitrogen rates based on in the future based on climate predictions. And then an evaluation tool which um, lets you see how you went, how your decision making went in that year and also it might tell you if you don't have likely to have any nutrients left over that will um, that you can carry forward into the following year. So here's some of the results from the field experiments. This is um, quite busy, but here are nutrients. That here we've got the reduction in um, yields when we've omitted those nutrients. So quite um, this shows that we've got um, quite a lot of nutrient limitations, I suppose, um, naturally in the, um, out there. So you need to really consider feeding the, the crop to make sure that um, nutrition is taken care of. So, is that P P and K in particular need to be applied prior, either at or prior to sowing. It's a very limited effect in crop. So, um, you can have um, make decisions about in crop N as you're going through the season. But those in-crop decisions are going to be limited by what you've already got in the soil. Um, so you need to consider, if you haven't got your PKS looked after at the start of the season, and you look like you're getting a really good season, you think, oh, I'll apply you know, extra nitrogen so I can really go for a six-time crop. If you haven't actually got the soil um, PKS uh, right at the beginning of the season, you're not going to get that response. So what is sufficient PKS? So part of the tools that we've developed, we've got um, and these are we've got some cards and we'll hand them out. If you want to go onto the website and have a bit of a play with these, they are in the prototype still, but we'd be interested in feedback. Basically, you've got the option of choosing a crop or location. You've got um, an initial starting PKNS levels. 
you can say at the beginning, you know, what is your yield potential, which is always the $64 million question, but uh, for, you've got four different season types that you can say that you're looking at and going for. At the start of the season, you might be very optimistic and say, yep, we're going to go very, very good season. It will tell you what your yield potential is. You have the ability to adjust that if you feel that you've got some kind of constraints that you think that yield potential is not going to be reached. You look at um, what the price of the crop is likely to be, you, um, what your marginal return on investment from that fertiliser might be, if you want a 2 to 1 or a 5 to 1, whatever you want out of that, and the cost of your fertiliser. In the awareness tool, you can see here, this is just showing um, the, the um, expected profit from the different scenarios, but here this this line here is showing if you haven't regard to your PKNS, you can continue putting on more nitrogen, but you're not actually going to get your yield potential. If you have sufficient PKNS in your soil, then you're going to get that response to nitrogen and you're going to get that higher, higher yield. The other tool is the planning tool, whereby um, you can put in what, again, what, what um, Garden soil conditions you have, and you can work out from this tool allows you to work out uh, based on that soil test what the um, optimum combination of the different nutrients might be to either maximise um, your new, new, um, profit or your least combination of nutrients. And then you have the ability halfway through the season and around that um, uh, stage 31 or budding. Um, that you can change that if you season um, how close did we get that right. So the main messages are variety choice and matching in with potential and I think um, we, we can really challenge our thinking here. I don't think we've got the varieties um, that we're necessarily sowing the varieties that get our yield protected. And I think we you know we can we're still working on getting better adapted material but you know, if um, you're comfortable about maybe pushing the boundaries a little bit to try and something a little bit um, with that high yield potential in your environment. Time of sowing, maximising um, yield by optimal, targeting um, your time of sowing for an optimal flowering period. And we actually have quite a few variety with combinations um, and the window is relatively wide. Um, set up the crop for success, plant numbers, crops can recover from um, low densities, providing those crops recent, the plants are reasonably healthy, but you might need to consider your weed options as well. And then supply adequate nutrients. High yields, high input do require high inputs and it's a high cost. Um, plan ahead, you know, nitrogen response is going to be dependent on what that soil value is. Um, and through that, you can understand the risks and the costs of the end of the That's it. Yeah. <laughs>